0: Today we speak with Alex Holmes, who is the CEO of Plateau Energy Metals. We caught up with Alex last November and we got an update today as to how things are progressing with their concession issues, their Uranium play as well, and how indeed they hope to develop their projects this year, given their lack of cash. Enjoy the podcast. Hi Alex, how are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Matt? Not bad. Now we spoke back in November. You were over in London doing some meetings um, and uh, visiting a few investors. But um, and we'll, we'll we'll come on to, we'll come on to uh, what you told us about there. But can we first of all get a one minute summary for people new to this, and we'll pick it up from there.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Uh, so a quick summary of uh, company: Plateau Energy Metals, listed in Canada under the Toronto uh, TSX Venture Exchange, PLU, also in the OTC and the PLUUF. Uh, we're operating in Peru with two projects uh, called the bookends of the energy spectrum. We have a uranium project, the PEA stage, yeah. large resource, low cost, low capital cost. And the other end, we have a lithium project we discovered about two years ago that we rapidly advanced to become a very large project and recently put out a preliminary economic assessment on the project mm-hmm. that demonstrated a, uh, a long life asset, low cost chemical project.
0: Okay, great, great summary. Um, we will come on to the PEA on Lithium in a second, but can we just kind of park the Uranium conversation up by asking the simple question, has anything changed? Because you you talked about it in November being ineffective care and maintenance at this point, until the market turned. I don't think much has happened in the Uranium space since then. So are you advancing it? Are you spending any money on it, spending Uh, any time on it?
1: I mean, good good point. Not much has changed. we, for us, we're focused on working with the government through the regulations around transport and export. And the change since November was that the government on probably two or three occasions has come out and publicly stated we will have the regulations in place by the uh, second half of this year or in the second half of 2020. So that's a huge positive. That changes the dynamic for us and it makes more sense for us to allocate capital to
0: that budget. Right. But I think again, talking, harking back to November, you you think you recognise that it's a different set of skills required to develop Uranium asset compared to, to Lithium? Um, mm-hmm. Would you be looking at bringing strategic, I mean, if the price moves, let's, let's say all things are great and the market comes, comes back, is that a project that you would look to develop yourself or bring someone else in on?
1: Well what I would like to do is, as you pointed out, wait until the price responds a bit or let's call it the sentiment changes. As the sentiment changes, usually the equities respond quite well, um, maybe in a, in a quite aggressive stance. And I would like to do a little bit of technical work, and then I think at that point we need to make a decision whether we split the company into two, or we find a partner to take on the uranium asset. One of those two scenarios, are, I think, are the likely outcomes. Yeah, um, and, and largely because the investor base is either Lithium or Uranium. It's seldom both. It's a nice problem to have today because it provides a bit of a portfolio, um, but that's what we're looking for in the future.
0: Okay. And, and I think you talked about the Uranium assets. There are six of the concessions, which, you know, we'll, we'll come on to talk about this at a moment. The Uranium package is sitting within six of the concessions, six of the 32 concessions, which you were in discussions with. The government about at the moment, so I guess that's going to also affect your decision making um, on that. And again, let's assume at some point that gets resolved. I'm trying to get to the point of, you know, you've got a PEA, so you know you know something about it. And if sentiment Mm -hmm. changes significantly, is is this project attractive? And if so, who you know who could it be attractive to? Because again, we've had conversations with uranium uh, companies in South America. You know, who you've got you know nice project, nice nice resource size. They've they've done a lot of, the, you know, work around with, on the project. They're at pilot plant stage, but they can't get funded for you know fifteen million dollar pilot plant. You know, anything. Well, that, surely, surely that's nothing. So, do you know where you would like to or could position yourself for that project? Or is it
1: well, I think so. I think I, I don't know the company you're talking about, but I think that uh, that's just indicative of sentiment, really. Uh, At the end of the day, so as sentiment changes, valuations change as well, which presumably would unlock risk capital to be able to do what that company's choosing to do. Uh, From our perspective, we have over 100 million pounds in resource. Uh, We have a uh, long-life asset with a good return and a good cost profile. We see areas where we could reduce that cost profile, change up the project a little bit. So I think uh, you know, being in a new jurisdiction actually is a benefit when the country already has the ability to mine and process radioactive chemical or minerals in their mining law, or code, um, and they're making the effort to implement the regulations about transport and export. I think that's a really strong positive because you've got a mining country looking to work with a company, the private sector, to enable them to build a project. And when I look around the world, I think in my mind, that's actually a pretty attractive Proposition considering where a lot of the other uranium assets are or considering where the capital requirements are.
0: Okay. Do you think you're getting any value for it today? I mean, you're looking here at 23 million bucks today. Um, is there any value being attributed towards the uranium? No. Okay. So it's all upside. It's all upside. If as always. As always. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, let's like I say park that because I think I don't think you are getting value for that, and I think it's it's <clears throat> there's a few issues to be resolved there. You know, I say not least of all trying to work out uh, the regulations around transporting yellow cake around the country. You know, around the country, you know, they're they're an IEA country, so you know they've got to you know fit into the the um, the system somehow. So let, let, let's let's park that. Let's talk about lithium. I think where people are looking to you, you know, people every, again most people come to us and talk talk to us about the EV revolution how it's going to change their their fortunes and that of any investors um, lithium has been in decline for the past couple of years it's, it doesn't look like it's recovering anytime soon so how do junior lithium explorers like yourself I know you've got a PEA now but how do you work yeah. out how you fit into this into the cycle how how are you talking to the market about you know you know what type of Lithium company you're going to be or could be?
1: Well, if I can offer a counter view to um, the, the turnaround in Lithium price, not to be the constant bull, but I think what we're seeing now is uh, 2019 was a, a slow growth, growth year for China and the adoption of electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had destocking at the chemical conversion facilities, uh, which put a lot of pressure on the spodumene mines that rely on China to convert them into chemicals to stockpile, curtail production. In some cases, we've got a, a receiver sh- a company, receivership, and these companies didn't restock at just before Chinese New Year and before coronavirus. Uh, we had the Chinese government implement, uh, reinstate, or keep the subsidy from 2019. So the destocking that happened during 2019. Was on concerns that the subsidy wouldn't stay in place. That has been confirmed it's in place. So I think, again, let's put coronavirus aside because that would probably mess up the first quarter. Okay. But there is depleted stocks. Uh, We think there'll be a restocking, and we're seeing early signs of a, I I would even call it a bottoming of the market. So last week, uh, Gangfang Lithium, China's second largest not largest lithium chemical processor, capital processor, announced they're bringing additional hydroxide streams back online, on the back of receiving additional uh, demand from clients. And they've seen hydroxide prices up by just under 10%. So for me, that's a positive sign things are shifting and, uh, and and we're starting to kind of probably get into the bottom here. And maybe the second half of the year sentiment-wise looks a lot more positive. Um, but this first, I think the first half we're shaking out the, the ends of,
0: Okay, appreciate your, your version of what the the macro is or or, or or could be. But you know, how do you, as a junior worth twenty million bucks, twenty three million bucks, get the attention of anyone right now? Let alone shareholders. But in terms of you know wanting to have strategic conversations with strategics or trying to understand you know what the supply chain looks like and, and where you can sit in it. Because again, when you talk to me in November. You said, we're always having conversations with strategics. So what's been happening since, since then?
1: Yeah, So that's an ongoing process to have those conversations.
0: You're talking to them, but do they care?
1: Well, they take a long-term perspective, right? They don't take a quarter by quarter or even a one-year perspective. Uh, they have the ability to see past that. So for us, where we view our business evolving is we have a Lithium chemical project that's very large. A long mine life that can scale up to be a very large producer and it's low cost and we haven't included any optimization work which is a focus for 2020 and we haven't included any byproducts which are hopefully by the end of march we'll have results out in those those are all things that could incrementally either whether you look at it as additional value additional revenue streams uh, additional ways to finance the project or a way to lower the net operating cost of lithium uh, chemical that's that's what we're
0: focused Okay, so for people who haven't read your PEA, okay, mm-hmm. I have, but for people who haven't, give people the headline numbers because, you know, your NPV number you're putting out there is is vast, but there's, there's, you know, we need to talk about what that means. So, why don't you give us the headline numbers and then we'll talk about some of the other numbers?
1: Why don't we talk about uh, well, the base case, which is the case that includes both concessions. So, we designed a mine plan around focusing on the richest part of the lithium zone, which is TUF. And that is a 33-year mine life that starts off at I would call it a moderately sized lithium chemical project, around 22,000 tons per annum of lithium carbonate, and ramps up, doubles after year six, and then doubles again to a total of 85,000 tons per year. Now, that is too big for the market today, but at a projected 20% growth rate, we think it's an asset that can maintain market share and keep pace. Mm -hmm. And at 85,000 tons per year, that's the largest single asset. Production profile, and it's larger than the biggest lithium producer today. Um, the other things, the advantages we have are low second quartile cost, not including byproducts or excess power into the grid or any of these things. So we see areas that we're going to focus on to help improve that. But it's a good place to be. And the other thing is that the project self finances itself after phase one, after initial capex.
0: Right. And so what what is what are you going for? What is the model that you're going to employ? Because you know those those are some big numbers. Again, small company. Even if sentiment comes back, it's not going to it's not going to go hockey stick on us. So, what do you think is the best way to get into production, get into the market? Are you starting small, or are you going to this is a big scale project from day one? How are you going to do this?
1: Well, um, we start a small, but I mean, small is six hundred million capex. Wow. So, how do we tip away at that capex? Yeah. Right? So, one of the things in that capex is a sulfuric acid plant. That's one hundred and forty million. So we'll plan to start having conversations with parties that would look to own and operate that asset plant, pay for the capital and sell us acid and power over the fence, as they say. Uh, that could remove an item. The other thing, the optimization work we'll look at in 2020 are all things focused on both CapEx and OpEx reduction. And then when I look at our revenue streams, so Lithium being one. That's, that's an offtake market that usually helps on the project finance side. Mm-hmm. The byproducts that I think will ultimately drive some more value in the project are potassium for SOP fertilizer, specialty chemical fertilizer. Peru is a 100% import market and the fastest growing market in, in South America. And cesium, which is a very strategic component today. There's some more and more talk about it. Um, basically, because China controls it and any other sources are running out. Um, all of those two things come into solution with the lithium, and we preferentially set them off to the side. So, that work by the end of March will help us demonstrate to shareholders these are extractable, these are the qualities of what we'll be able to produce.
0: Exactly. But it also limits the size, the, the size of the audience that you can talk to because not too many people want to throw, you know, you talk about a minimum 600 million bucks. At a project, you know, from the get-go, so it's not like they're sort of bolting on to something here. So the size of these strategic partners that you're talking to are going to have to be meaningful, and there can't be that many of them. Um, why, why do it that way? What, what, what's in the head here? Do you think you've gone out to market, talked to strategics, and you're feeling kind of comfortable that 600 million is a number that you're going to easily be able to raise in the market?
1: Well, I think between the off takes on three revenue streams call, of the project. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's pro- That helps with the project finance. The other piece is export credit agency. So we have export credit agencies right now, uh, whether we talk to the agency in Finland, Finvera, the UK export credit agency, I mean, they're all looking for exposure to battery metals. They're all looking for ESG related themes, mm-hmm. uh, comfortable with Peru and some of the equipment we source is already through European providers. So we've had those early conversations, which is early for us at a PEA stage, but we're testing the waters. And what we're seeing is there's a willingness to a land into Peru, give us good coverage on the equipment resource. And by working with, in our case, it's a Finnish company, uh, working with a Finnish company to provide uh, a, quite a bit of our process plant equipment, uh, we can access inexpensive capital that way.
0: So you think you can piece together variety of capital from a variety of sources. Okay. Um you're a twenty three million dollar company, you raised one and a half million bucks in September. You told me in November you'd half a million bucks left. You've you burned through only fifty thousand a month. You told me in November. I don't know if anything's changed. Um mm-hmm. Are you going to have enough capital to get to the point where you can start having these conversations more meaningfully? Because no one's listening to you at a PEA stage, surely. You've got to get into feasibility territory. So you're going to need to raise some more money, dilutory money soon, surely.
1: Uh, Raising capital is certainly something that's on the horizon. Um, With regards to strategics coming in uh, at this stage of project. Uh, I don't think we're that far off of that. I'm not sure it'll happen necessarily before the next financing, um, but I think a lot of the reasons we're able to have these conversations is because of the merits of the project. Uh, yes, it is a PEA, but we spent a lot of time on the metallurgy and understanding that the ore body is the ore body. It's, it's, it's continuous. It's, there's no questions about that uh, component of it. Uh, if there's any questions, it's let's get comfortable in the process. And 18-months of test work by a very reputable firm has helped DRA do full process flow design, which has allowed us to identify areas to improve it. All of that information, if you will, through the process engineering process is, um, I think, puts us a step ahead in terms of yes, we're PEA, but here are the answers to your question.
0: Negotiations are tough when you're in a position of weakness. Do you feel that because of your cash position, you are in a weak position to be able to negotiate with whichever partners, whether they be funding partners, strategic partners, um, you know yeah. how, you know, are you going to be able to pay the bills to be able to get the information to it empower you to have better conversations? I mean, what what are the struggles of a yeah, junior sure. explorer? Uh, which is where you're at. I mean, you can share some of the I mean, I guess, trials and tribulations.
1: The struggles are probably the same everywhere. Um, the realities are that uh, actively managed capital has changed. That, that landscape has changed a lot, big time in Canada. Um, it's changed in Europe as well, to, to a lesser extent. Uh, competition from things like ETFs, liquidity requirements, etc. So for us, Where we've been focusing our attention, uh, first of all, in terms of our investor base, we have about 45% with uh, insiders and with working with the uh, group at Haywood Securities. We have about 10% high net worth in California that continue to be supportive. And we have about 15% in Europe that are also supportive. So, between that mix, we have a, you know, call it a tight registry. We've definitely shaken out the loose hands in the last six, seven months Mm -hmm. uh, because of our, as you know, because of our concession challenges in Peru, uh, which I think has formed a new price base. But having that sixty-five percent supportive helps us get through next financing phases.
0: Okay, so you think they'll they'll follow the money, but okay. But let's talk about the long pole and the tent, which is the concession challenges. I think you just called them. Which can you just explain to people? Where that's come from. And then, I guess, more importantly to them, can you lend any comfort as to how the process is progressing? Because you're not in control of the timing on that.
1: So, to take us from uh, November to today, uh, and a very quick recap of when we were in November, we had started a dual track process of administrative resolution, which is all through the higher levels of government. So, Minister, Vice Minister of Energy and Mines level, uh, all the way up to the credits. So, that is a should be a faster process than the judicial path, but it is a concurrent path. And the judicial path is you're effectively forced by nature to pursue this to protect your own interests. And that path is composed of two parts. One is getting injunctions to protect everything and it reverses everything into our name. Mm -hmm. We received an injunction on about half of the concessions that we talked about actually at the bottom of our, our PEA press release. And the other piece is the actual court. Hearing date. And it's not so much a hearing, it's it's the judge that puts the injunctions in place considering the case and ruling on it. And what that judge that issued that injunction stated very clearly is: and you can't get an injunction without providing notarized copies of bank statements and correspondence and receipts, etc. etc. And she reviewed that and she reviewed Ingamet's side of the story, which was that's the geologic administration group, and she very clearly said in her injunction company complied with the general mining law, they paid on time, the money was in the England Bank account and administrative law was ignored. So for us, that's a very strong statement. Um, I don't necessarily think that investors captured what that really meant um, because you've got the, the judge that rules on the case is the same judge that issues the injunction and she's basically already completed her legal analysis and provided her rule. We have time to wait through a judicial process.
0: So you're confident because the same judge who, who made that assessment will be ruling on the appeals that you, you've submitted.
1: Yes. Well, it's actually in, in uh, technically it's just it's the first time it's heard legally by the law, and it's the first time the law has analyzed this and spoken. And so the judicial process is, uh, started in October, but in terms of timelines, it's really the injunctions was that first step.
0: So, as you say, that's really important. If you're saying people haven't picked up on that, they they need to, because you had a massive drop off in your share price when that announcement was initially Mm -hmm. made, right? You would hope that the same people who were scared by that may be reassured by that going forward. That's that's what you would hope. Okay. But what do you say to them in terms of how long does this take? The bit you can't control is how long does that process take? When will you hear a finding? hopefully in your favour?
1: Bearing in mind that we're dealing with the court system and in any country it can take a very long time to get hearings and everything. Uh, it could be as fast as 6-months, it could be as long as 24-months.
0: Okay. Until then, you've stalled all capital deployment in ground, so you're not going to burn through a lot of money. Is that, is that still the case?
1: In, so we had, uh, going back for a PEA for a second, we showed two scenarios. The second scenario was a, call it a what-if scenario. What if we lost these concessions? And that was the alternative case. I refer to it also as our stage 1, because that was still a positive NPV project, low cost, north of 840 million NPV, NPV uh, and a ramp up scenario. It, the only difference between that and the uh, bigger scenario was the mine life was 26-years versus 33 and it only did 2 stages of ramp up. It's still become a serious a quite significant project. So for us, it makes sense. Let's not infill drill this year. Infill drilling's cost, you know, it's capital intensive. And that's what you need to go to pre-feasibility study is to get it to reserve status. Yeah. Um, but until the market recognizes what the project is and the sentiment returns a bit, um, let's raise that infill drilling capital at a less diluted level. This year, let's focus on things that incrementally add value to the project. At the same time as, uh, we call it technically the risk of the project.
0: Okay, so why so why don't you do that straight away? Why isn't that your base case and then your slightly, you know, your larger one hundred percent version? You know, something that, depending on the strategic conversations you're having, you know, could be an, a, an upside to it. it. It doesn't make it easier if the project's yeah, smaller. Yeah. There's still good numbers well, to me. It, it, it's a similar
1: capital cost up front, just because we effectively revised a mine plan to focus. Now could we do a smaller version? Sure. There's a smaller version opportunity. Uh, the biggest capital cost within that overall initial capital is the asset plant. The benefits are control your operating costs, free power, clean power. Um, I think that it's important to point out in our base case, the first 10 years of that larger case scenario are 100 is or mineralized material, as I'm allowed to say. 100% from the Felkhani concession, which is undisputed. And it's only after year 10, I mean, a lot of mines only have a 10-year mine life. It's only after year 10 that we start to bring in ore from the adjoining concession, Boca Casa Four, which is the one that's currently in, in the dispute process.
0: So, it sounds like there's a, a ways to go, but you 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 feel you sound more confident than you did, or you're being more open than you were in November about how you feel that will go. Um, I guess we'll sit back sit back and see. You did also mention to me before the interview started there's a there's a new minister who, and she's she's someone known to you. I'm not saying you're taking advantage of that. I'm just saying you know, she's a she's aware of you, let's put it that way around.
1: Well, I think yeah, in December we restarted the PEA process to wrap it up. And the reason we restarted that is because on the judicial path we had confidence in the direction it was going. And then last week, last Thursday evening, uh, there was a new Minister of Energy and Mines announced and uh, her name is Susanna Vilka, Minister Vilka. Mm-hmm. And she uh, has spent about 30 years in the mining space sector, if you will. So she was governor of Kuno, which is the region that our project is in, which is important from the perspective of, she recognizes the value of industrial economic development in a region because Puno is a, call it a have-not department.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we see support from her in that fashion. We also, she recognises she's been president of Inghamet before, the geologic administration group, and she's both been involved with the ministry before. Uh, so she's familiar with our project because she's been aware of us working in the region for the last 15 years.
0: PA was announced, did nothing in the market for you. Yes. Why?
1: I think certainly an overhang, right? I don't think that people are looking past the um, concession overhang and recognizing that even in our alternative case uh, economic study, our smaller project, if you will, uh, we're still trading at 2% of net asset value Mm -hmm. against a peer group of 20%. So there's a value opportunity here that is uh, just getting more eyeballs on the company and going out and meeting with people, which is what I've been doing for the last week, will help uh, people understand that.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So,
1: you know, we're turning the corner from only, call it negative news, to something very positive to talk about and pushing the negative news to the background will resolve that.
0: Do you think that the, 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 the scale of this project scared people? I mean, I know I'm, I know I'm maybe asking this question a different way. And I've yes. asked <laughs> yeah. it a few times, but um, it, it just, it, just it, it feels feels to me that that for, for a company of your size, it, it it it's a step too far. You know, why aren't you reducing the scale of this thing? I've seen this model work so many times in different commodities, where you just kind of you get into production, get into the market, proof of concept, proof of route into market, and then you mm-hmm. build it up from there. And it may you know affect your economics over the long run, but at least it gets the ball moving. Whereas right now, you kind of feel. It's a little bit sort of intransient.
1: Well, I think so. If I understand what you're asking, I think you're really focusing on the initial capital component as opposed to the. Well, yeah, C- yeah, well, clearly. Correct. Yeah, so I mean, from, a, from an operational perspective, it's not a very large project, right? So we're talking about a processing rate of a million and a half tons per year. That's not that large for phase one, and a mining rate of twice that if you include the strip ratio. Mm. So that is not, you know, we're talking about, uh, what is that, about 4,000 and change tons per day. That's not a big project. Um, But the capital cost number is certainly something, people always focus on that. They look at our market cap, they look at the capital cost and they go, how is that possible? So, I mean, I will lean on my experience and the experience of our board in financing multiple projects over the last 10-years. So I think that's going to help. I think that the fertilizer component of our project is a completely different universe. It's a trillion dollar market versus a three and a half billion dollar lithium market, right? Whole other set of players that would be interested just in the value proposition of what Peru has to offer. So those are separate conversations to call it the lithium chemical conversations. Mm -hmm. And then cesium is a whole other game, which you know we need to spend more time on, but it's become this strategic thing that any sourcing out of China is a good thing, for
0: that okay. But you've got to work <laughs> on what the economics of both those things could be, right? So you don't know yet. Not certainly off the back of a PEA.
1: And you know, if we, as we're doing our optimization work and the byproduct work, and we're moving it through the development studies. If we feel that starting at half the throughput makes more sense, um, then then that's something we can consider. Okay. Um, I think the most important thing for us was demonstrating cost, the ability to scale up and it's a very clean product and it's a Lithium and Sulphate solution, which provides flexibility for the project down the road as the Lithium chemical market desires different chemical formations.
0: Okay. Thanks for coming back to us. I, I understand that. It has been tough last year for you, you know. Obviously, double whammy of uranium, plus, you know, plus plus lithium. But you've been working through working through the problem, as it were. Um, sounds like some good. I'm going to be difficult. Good news ish. Hopefully, uh, with regards to um, what's 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 going on with regards to concessions. Um, you've still got a lot of work to do. Have you got enough money to be able to get a better understanding of the economics on the, of this project?
1: Well, I think we have a uh, very good, call it first pass PEA, right? Very good understanding the economics, which uh, there is a, it's almost as if we don't have to do anything more and the share price should trade something close. It's not going to trade at the peer group because of the concession overhang, but even at a discount to peer group is reasonable. Um, So as we start to get the uh, information out there, what we'll be looking to do is attract a cornerstone investor. Small financing down the road uh, to continue to do the pieces of work that we think provide incremental value.
0: T- timing on this raise,
1: next two months.
0: Okay, great.
1: We'll see how the market responds as okay. we're we starting to kind of communicate the story.
0: It will be a big indicator for sure. Okay, Alex, I appreciate the the update. Um, I'd love to hear how you get on the next few months with regards, certainly around the concession type story, but um, all the other things that you're doing to um, help people understand where you're at at the moment. So um, do come back on again. We'll speak soon. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCars